The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast. Today's episode is is one that, that I look forward to every year pre-draft. Always get a chance to talk to Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. And Matt will be joining us today here in a minute. Uh, just a word of advice if you guys haven't uh, haven't listened to any of Matt's podcasts at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio or any of the, the interviews that, that Matt and I have done over the years, uh, buckle in because I think we might be here for a little while. So, uh, <laughs> so, so let's, without any, any further ado, uh, let me bring, uh, bring Matt in. Matt, how you doing? How you been? How's everybody? Everybody's doing good. And, and, uh, you know, hope everybody's staying safe out there. Oh, we're, we're trying. We're trying. We're doing the best we can. Of course, uh, if you're like me, you spend a lot of time working from home anyway, so so things don't uh, so so that part of life doesn't change a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. So, you know, as people are getting used to working from home, I'm thinking, well, it's a typical year, you know, typical Mar- really typical March, April for me. Other than the fact that if you do keep up with the news, it's been extraordinarily atypical. That it has, and the atypical part for me is that you know, two rooms over in my house, I have my wife now sitting here working from home. So, uh, so that's a little different, but, uh, we're all, we're all doing what we have to do. And the NFL is, is rolling along. We've been through most of free agency at this point. They're, they're pushing ahead with plans for the NFL draft, which will be virtual. It'll be different. There won't be fans, but there will still be an NFL draft and and as usual there's still a lot of hysteria in various teams fan bases as they discuss who who their teams should draft what they should do and, and we're going to go through a lot of that uh here in terms of the Giants you know Matt your your major you know area of expertise what you spend a lot of time on is the the skill positions and that's what we're going to focus on here today mostly wide receiver but I do have to ask you, the Giants have the fourth overall pick. They're they're not taking a quarterback. They're not, I would doubt very, very much that they're taking a wide receiver. The big debate seems to be between, you know, Clemson, you know, do everything defender Isaiah Simmons and taking an offensive tackle. And, and if you're, if it's you, uh, on that uh, on that conference call, you know, making that choice. What do you do for the Giants at four? I'm I'm curious because I, I, I get I get so many different opinions on this, and it's split down the middle. Yeah, I'm curious ima- what you would do. I can imagine it is, you know, and and when you look at a guy like Isaiah Simmons, certainly you love the athletic ability that he provides, and the fact that he can cover tight ends and some wide receivers up the seam up to 20, 25 yards with a drop. And and you, you like the fact that he's a type of guy that could spy a quarterback and run some quarterbacks down as they try to break the pocket and get to the edge. Um, you know, the real question is, is what position does he play? And, 
And to me, what's important about Isaiah Simmons is having a really good plan for how you're going to implement him to, to maximize his strengths, minimize his weaknesses, and, and also really where you are as a team. And when I look at the Giants, I mean, certainly you have, you know, a, you have an up and coming player in Will Hernandez, you know, Zeitler and, and Solder are, are solid, if not very good. But then you, still you're looking at these guys mid to late career, most likely in terms of the span of what you're looking for from an offensive lineman. That's kind of where they're at. You have Gates at right tackle and you think about what is it that this, what is it that you want to do with this team? And, and it seems to me that you have a young quarterback, you have a young stud running back and it, it, it seems like the the emphasis should probably be if it were if it were me to emphasize the the offensive line to to really try and solidify this make sure there's depth make sure that there's up and coming talent because this offense is is a young strength that's how you kind of have to see it and and I think that you know you need to give Daniel Jones time in the pocket you know one of his we've talked about him extensively last year. And one of the weaknesses that kind of showed up late in the year with him is a little bit of tone deafness in the pocket, um, some skill, you know, in terms of being able to manage pressure or being able to, to sense pressure quickly enough, reducing the amount of pressure that Daniel Jones deals with would be very strong, would be a very good thing. Having a, being, having a strong enough offensive line that Saquon Barkley is used in a manner where he can be working out in the flats or working up the seam or up the sideline as often as possible as a receiver. Really the answer is offensive line. And there are some good offensive linemen in the first round, you know, you know, ranging from Andrew Thomas, who's one of the most solid to guys like Makai Becton to Tristan Wirfs. You know, there's about four or five offensive linemen that are very strong in this class. And I just think that building on that should probably be the priority because you've already started building there. And with quarterbacks, you need to keep them clean, you know, and the cleaner you keep them, the better off you are in terms of their development. If you start hitting them on a, you know, they start getting hit, you know, more than they should. That's the position where you can see regression and you can see decision making start to decline. Um, and then also difficulties being able to react to pressure um, and overreacting to it. And that's something that can permanently ingrained in certain players. A guy like back in the past, there was a Buffalo Bills quarterback by the name of Trent Edwards who was at Stanford, and and he was known for his toughness in the pocket. I mean, he had a horrific um, offensive line at Stanford to the point that when those USC teams with you know the the Reggie Bush, Lendale White, Steve Smith, you know Matt um, Liner years where they had you, you know they were the Alabama and the LSU of the NCAA, you know, when they were facing that type of team in USC, the Stanford linemen, there was tape of them literally arguing with each other during a play and allowing Trent Edwards to get sacked. He was a tough guy though, who played through a lot of that, but at Buffalo, you know, he started to look promising and then they were not able to protect him. And once he got concussed by, I believe it was a hit by Adrian Wilson from the uh, Arizona Cardinals, um, his career pretty much as a starter ended because he came back and you could tell he just he, he re- overreacted to pressure on a consistent basis. And he could never really be anything more than a journeyman backup. And that's not the type of thing you want to have happen with a guy like Daniel Jones. Um, so being able to fortify the edge, having depth at the edge, um, and having youth, um, promising youth at that level will be helpful, especially as players get hurt because, you know, it, it happens in the league. And when you can provide some level of depth along your offensive line with talent, um, it can make a difference in your season. I mean, I'm down here in Atlanta and I'll end it with just saying that, you know, Matt Ryan, they added two offensive linemen for him, uh, you know, last year. And one of them, you know, was the Washington kid who was, um, you know, had, um, I believe, some sort of heart surgery that was kind of a, a follow-up procedure. And then he was hurt early in the year, and he didn't come back till later. And you could see how much that offense, that offense struggled early in mid-year without 
a solid offensive line. And when they were able to bring him back in and he started playing and he played well, you could just see the lift that the entire offense had because of his presence. And I think that's very important. It was Caleb McGarry uh, and and Chris Lindstrom were the two that they added at right guard. Chris, Chris Lindstrom at right guard, Boston College, and Caleb McGarry out of Washington. And when those two guys got into the lineup, and and you could just see the difference in how that offense played. And I think it's I think that applies very well to the Giants, especially if you know mid year injuries occur. Having that depth is important as well as growing for the future because. Like we said, the the age of those players are at that mid to late career span. Yeah, you're pretty much where I'm at, Matt, where I think it's their, I call it sort of their bottom line responsibility is to, to give Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley every chance to be the players that they should be or could be. Um, I want to talk about, I want to turn the, the conversation, though, at this point to uh, to the other skill positions to more, you know, the things that, that you spend most of your time studying. And, and that would be, you know, we're not going to talk about quarterback. Obviously, there's no need for us to do that at this point. We'll talk about wide receiver. Mostly we'll talk a little bit about running back and, and tight end, you know, later in the draft. And, and where I want to start is is right here. I tend to think, you know, everybody focuses for the Giants on the offensive line. They focus on adding defensive playmakers. They they sort of obsess about how are the Giants going to add to the pass rush. They're probably not going to be able to uh to get Chase Young in this draft. They're they haven't been able to uh to sign Jadavian Clowney. They're not going to be able to make a trade for the for the kid from Jacksonville, whose name I always butcher, so I'm not even going to try to pronounce yes. it. I'm not even going to try. I just I I give up because every time I do it, I, I I butcher it, and somebody on Twitter calls me out, so I'm just I give up. But uh, but one of the underrated needs, the way that I look at it, is wide receiver, and where I want to start is. Let's actually start with what the Giants have. I mean, they have the veteran guys in Tate. They have, you know, Sterling Shepard, who's got the the scary concussion issues from last year. And my, you know, my first question for you is about Darius Slayton. And I guess my people look at him and they think, could he be a number one wide receiver? And is that if people look at him and say, well, he's the he's the number one, he's the guy. Is that putting too much of an expectation on, on Darius Slayton? I think it is at this point, but um, certainly the physical skills are there for him to become a primary wide receiver in the NFL. And while the stats show that promise to, to believe that he can become that, um, I think that he's going to need another year or two because, again, it, it does to be a top receiver in the NFL, you really need to be able to, to be – consistently good against the top cornerbacks in the league against tight man coverage to be able to defeat bracketed coverage to be able to read coverage in a way where you're on the same page with your quarterback um and and understand the complexities of that and i think that there's still more to prove with his game there's more for him to develop so giving you know he may be a guy that can offer you some of those physical skills and some of those plays where, you know, going up to win the ball, being able to beat um, beat some top corners on occasion on some deeper routes, um, especially with the aid of play action or double moves or any type of play that's more of a constraint type of play. But I think overall you still need to give him a little bit of time and you're also going to need, and I think also it doesn't hurt to be able to add another receiver in this very talented class who can, um, you know, who can develop alongside where you can do some rotating of um, positions and you still have Golden Tate where Tate, I think maybe still at the end of his career, still be able, is still able to offer some possibilities in terms of what he can do both inside and outside. And you can play the game as an offense where you, rotate the receivers to find good matchups for them in a way where you may not have to lean on saying, all right, 
here's, you know, you know, when you had Odell Beckham, you could, you could kind of just say, this is who he's going to be lined up against. It doesn't matter. We're still going to throw him the ball. He'll be open. Um, whereas I think that the, the Giants don't quite have that right now. Um, but maybe in a couple of years, a guy like Slayton, or if they do draft another, another player from this rich class, um, you know, within the first two to four rounds, they might find that guy as well. So let's talk about a, a scenario here. One of the things that Dave Gettleman has been known for, everybody sort of gnashes their teeth and looks at Gettleman at the number four pick and says, oh, he really should trade down, but, but he's never done that, you know, in seven drafts as an NFL general manager. One of the things, though, that, that Gettleman has done consistently in both Carolina and New York, you know, which, and he did this last year with DeAndre Baker. One of the things that he has done consistently is take some of the draft assets that he's able to accumulate, target a player or two, and be aggressive in moving up to get, you know, a player that, that he believes in or to try to fill a position that he thinks he really needs to fill. And one of the scenarios that that I see as as possible for the Giants would be if they're going to trade up, let's say they get their offensive lineman early, if they're going to trade up, I would look at wide receiver, which as I said, I think is a really underrated need with you know with the ages of of Tate and with the the injury history with with Sterling Shepard. I could easily see them trading back you know late in the first round to get a wide receiver and a couple of the names that I've heard we'll start with these two players and then maybe we'll talk about other guys you would see as possible targets for a move like that the two names that I keep hearing are Justin Jefferson of of LSU and Denzel Mims of Baylor so why don't we start with with you talking about those two players yeah, that's funny. Those are two of my favorite players in this class. Um, and, and I think that they're very good picks if they were going to, um, if Gentleman is going to trade up and try and, you know, parlay some of those assets for a, a player of impact. I think those two can deliver impact early on and develop into uh, really solid to strong starters and really be maybe long term be an upgrade to what the Giants have. I really think that they they can be an upgrade to what the Giants have within two to three years. Um, maybe even immediately, depending on how they're used. I think let's start with Justin Jefferson, who I really think is probably my favorite receiver in this class. He's a he's just a smart, intuitive football player. He's he played a lot on the outside earlier in his career, and you can see the skills to be able to, you know, make the hard breaks you're looking for to 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 run the timing perimeter routes. He has very he he's very skilled on the boundary in terms of being able to you know stay in in the boundary and be able to make plays you know at its edge. Um, he can take contact. He certainly has an array of skills being able to beat press coverage. Um, it may not be the, his greatest strength as a player, but he certainly is skilled enough that he can win outside. Um, big hands, you know, vacuums the ball up very well, and he's very good after the catch. He has excellent peripheral vision to be able to, you know, avoid defenders, has great timing in that respect, especially in the middle of the field when there's multiple guys coming at you from different angles. So, you know, obviously, you know, Jefferson can be a very good perimeter player, but what we saw last year at LSU is that one of his greatest strengths is playing in the slot. And Jefferson excels in the slot and for a number of reasons. One is that he's very good at the option routes, the routes where basically you're running against a, a linebacker or safety or a nickel corner where you get the you get the option to go inside or outside or get a little bit deeper or break back short, he he has a good feel with his quarterback of how to read the defense and be on the same page. He's a very patient receiver, so he can set up those defenders with the with the footwork that you need to be able to get off the line of scrimmage 
and to be able to bait the defender and and time things in a manner where you're reading the field. He does that very well. But then in addition to that, he's an excellent blocker. And that's an underrated aspect of wide receiver play, especially if you're going to play on the inside. And there's tape of him being able to handle SEC caliber athletes at linebacker or at safety where he can wall them off. He punches well. He's able to sustain his hands even against larger defenders in the 225 to 240 pound range. So you're seeing, you know, you're not going to ask him to absolutely dominate and pancake guys like that, but he technically can hold his own and he's tough enough to be able to do the job where, you know, if a defender is not, doesn't have his ears pinned back and he's really, you know, aggressive on the play early on, Jefferson's the type of player that can get the early advantage and then keep the defender from being able to, you know, redirect or be able to, you know, regain his intensity to be able to his advantage. And so, you know, Jefferson's very good as a blocker. And then most of all, because he's so good with the patient aspect of working with the quarterback, he's probably one of the best receivers in this class when the play breaks down and being able to find the open space, whether it's in zone or it's one-on-one. He has a really good knack for efficiently making one move to be able to break into the open area and be able to create a nice target for his quarterback when the quarterback has to break the pocket or the play goes off script. And so when you add all that together, you get a, a, a wonderfully versatile player who can has just enough speed that if you need him to play split end, you probably could get him get some work from him there. But he can be a flanker easily in an offense, especially because of his after-the-catch skills. Um, and then you have a dynamic player from the slot. So he would be a guy that even if you know Sterling Shepard's able to be healthy again and and he's playing well, Jefferson can kind of spot play behind um, Sterling Shepard. He can also play, uh, you know, play the flanker um, role. He's someone who, to me, reminds me of a combination of of traits that you would see from Keenan Allen and from DJ Chark of, of Jacksonville Jaguars, where you've got that field. Str- he's he's a faster version of Keenan Allen um, in terms of an athlete. Um, he may not be as quick as Allen but he's got that savviness about his game in terms of the technique, the footwork, understanding how to be patient. And so he's a terrific, he's a terrific player and he's one of my top five receivers in this class. Be very wise to get a guy like him. Now, Denzel Mims is, is an, is an absolutely fun player. He's my number two receiver in this class. Um, and I've had him pretty much that high, for months um so it's interesting that he's starting to get that kind of um you know pre-draft affection that you're seeing from a lot of from a lot of analysts out there um the baylor product you know 62207 he had an absolutely stellar combine in terms of the in terms of the metrics that he showed but what's really impressive about him you know the athletic parts the icing on the cake he's he has great short area quickness strong acceleration, and then a terrific long speed. But he developed throughout his career. You could literally, I have a a video that I showed on my YouTube channel, Matt Waldman's RSB Film Room, that I I probably spend, I think I, it's probably maybe a 30, 40 minute long video where I show his development over three years. And you start to see his development as a route runner, especially with press coverage. Um, he's He's a skilled press coverage receiver for the college game. He's someone that understands um, that he's had to develop different types of footwork, different types of hand usage, how to combine them in in, in different ways, um, and then also learning how to read the defender and set up defenders as the game goes along. And that's that's a craft to wide receiver play that often takes a couple of years and some receivers never really get it. That's why you get some guys who are really athletic, but they're kind of a they're kind of like a hammer in the offense. They're just like a a, a single dimensional tool because they they can't release against different types of coverages 
um, that you need them to, and you have to kind of scheme them to get open. Um, Mims is the type of guy that I think can develop into a primary player because of the fact that you can see him setting up defenders, whether it's off man coverage or whether it's tight man coverage. He shows a skill to be physical. He shows skills to be able to avoid the first man. He can work inside. He has the he has the physicality to win cover, you know, win plays where it's tightly covered or to take hits and come down with the ball. He probably makes he and um, C.D. Lamb probably make some of the most impressive catches on targets that are away from their frame that I've seen from anybody this year and and really they rank well enough in that area that maybe any year there you know they they would be on a list of maybe my top 10 the top 15 um so you know of guys who've made just impressive catches whether it's low and away whether it's having to catch the defense catch the ball as well as wrap your you know, arms around the defender's arm while he's in, got it reached into your body while you're, you know, kind of leaning low and away. Um, high point catches, being able to one hand the ball where your your momentum is heading one direction and you have to turn your arm in the opposite direction of that momentum. Very skilled in that regard. So kind of gives you what Beckham used to be able to provide where you can take a target that's catchable but not necessarily pinpoint accurate and kind of erase that lack of pinpoint accuracy with your athletic skill. Mims has that. You know, Jefferson can do a lot of that, but it's not at the level of what Mims provides. Um, so, you know, I would say that Mims is also a pretty good player after the catch. Um, certainly he's a he's a slightly better athlete than, than Jefferson in the open field, um, but maybe not quite as aware and not quite as versatile. But if you're looking for a guy to be your split end or your flanker, he can probably do either of those roles pretty well. And you can interchange him and Slayton. Um, and, you know, then you can keep a guy like Golden Tate on the inside and have him and uh, Sterling Shepard kind of rotate well as, you know, and you can kind of rotate all of these guys until Mims has really shown that he's at the, he's ready to perform at his level of potential. And his level of potential is a you know a borderline Pro Bowl type of wide receiver. I'd say both he and and Jefferson have that ceiling to their game. Um, but I think both can start right away. I think both can be productive um, and can deliver what you probably got out of Slayton last year. I think they can probably deliver that, but on a more consistent basis where you're not getting the absolute highs and 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 then the, the you know the the valleys that maybe Slayton got but again that also depends on quarterback play you know and and the health of the offensive line and the and the functionality of the offensive line but if all those things come together both those players are capable of consistent production all right Matt so beyond beyond that round 1 scenario obviously you we're looking at maybe day 2 middle round selections and we know there's there's a lot of uh a lot of of depth in this class you've talked about that all you know every analyst talks about how how many quality players there are in this draft give me just give me some of your favorite guys who you think should be available second day maybe you know maybe even you know fourth fifth round in this draft a handful of your favorite guys you think you know can have long-term productive nfl careers sure um you know we're gonna go with probably one of the best but also one of the riskiest and that would probably be a guy you'd find on early early to midday two and that's lavisca chanel out of colorado the six foot 227 pound receiver who played a lot of on the wing as well as, as more in the backfield for Colorado. But this is a, a guy with terrific upside. Um, you, you know, if you look at his combine numbers, you'll only see that he had like, they only did the bench press in the 40. Well, he was, he ran the 40 at four, five, eight, which doesn't sound all that impressive until you realize that he did it with a sports hernia and got surgery afterwards. He wanted to run the combine before he got surgery. 
Um, so, and, and that's the big issue with him is, is he going to be able to stay healthy? He had a rotator cuff injury. He had this sports hernia injury. He's had a, he's had a few injuries during his career and people wonder if this is a guy who can stay healthy. And I would say the answer is as long as they're not going to try and turn him into, um, you know, Saquon Barkley's backup, I don't think you're going to have an issue. Um, he's an underrated route runner. Um, Steven Montez, the quarterback for Colorado is not really a great NFL prospect and was not a, you know, he was a solid college quarterback, but solid to me is he can make one read. And if the pressure wasn't on him, he was, he didn't self-destruct, but pressure, pressure made him self-destruct to a point where Chenault really didn't get the full range of his expression in terms of what his skills can do. Um, but terrific after the catch, um, type of player who you can use in certain gadget situations, kind of the way that you could use um, Golden Tate. But I think that he could, he's a type of guy that can overpower defensive backs, but also run past them. He's a lot faster than his time showed. Brian Edwards is an interesting guy because he might drop to the third round. Um, you know, there are people that have concerns about his hands. I watched him enough last year that I feel like. I didn't really see the hands issues last year. Um, the year before, they certainly showed up a little bit more. But he's a you know six two two twelve. Um, you know the highs of his game is that he can make some of those same plays that a guy like Denzel Mims does. He's very physical after the catch. He's tough to be able to to really jostle around or reroute. Um, so he's a very experienced receiver who has you know who led South Carolina in terms of their production. He's their most productive receiver in Carolina in South Carolina history. Kind of reminds me of a Javon Walker type of player in terms of the type of style that he plays with. Um, you know, a, another guy that could fall and be very nice, a very nice player is T. Higgins. Um, you know, he's physical. He's a more linear guy where you know you're going to ask him. You're not going to be asking him to run a lot of routes that have hard breaks back to the quarterback on, you know, you know, you know, in, in the intermediate and short game, but he's a, he's a guy that you can do a lot of good work with on crossers, slants, um, over routes in the middle of the field, seam routes, in addition to, you know, some of the double moves and fade routes on the outside, um, very combative player, um, kind of, you know, the guy that he reminds me of, is he plays bigger than his size and he's and he's and he handles that physical play well. The guy he reminds me of is Hakeem Nix in terms of what Nix provided the Giants um you know at the peak of his career. I think T. Higgins has that kind of playing style to him. And then, you know, mid to later rounds, I mean, you know, certainly Van Jefferson gets a lot of gets a lot of love. He's Sean Jefferson's son, the former Chargers and Lions and Patriots wide receiver, who's now an NFL wide receiver coach. Van Jefferson has excellent route running. He has some work to do with his hands. Um, you know, he the way he positions his hands towards certain levels of targets, um, they're not uniform to where the target is um, arriving, and he fights the ball a little bit. Um, but his route running might be the best in this group. Um, so, you know, you could get a a terrific slot receiver and reliable player in the middle of the field who can develop into that and maybe give you what the Giants got a little bit, or excuse me, the Patriots got a little bit out of um, Julian Edelman. You might be able to get a player with some of that skill as a route runner, not so much after the catch. But if you're going to talk about, you know, mid to late round guys, Quintez Cephas is a guy out of Wisconsin, six feet, 202 pounds. And he ran a four, seven, three, 40 at the combine, but then later ran a, a, a four five, six, um, 40 at his pro day. And that's closer to the truth with him, uh, much closer to the truth, to be honest. And you look at his, his 20 shuttle and his, and his vertical leap. And you can see that's the case. This guy I think is the steal of the class. Um, he is extremely physical, uses his hands unbelievably well at the top of his, stems into the break routinely gets separation 
He can win up. He tracks the ball as well as anybody in this class, whether it's over his head, whether it's turning from one shoulder to the other shoulder um, and having to make that transition while you're running away from the quarterback 30, 40, 50 yards downfield. And he's terrific at the catch point. I mean, he can take hard contact. He can win the ball um, against tight coverage where, um, you know, the way that he tracks it or is able to, you know, maintain focus even after maybe he takes contact and the ball's not where it needs to be and he has to tip it to himself. He's very good in that area. He's strong enough that, I mean, this is a guy who lifted, you know, did 23 reps on the bench press as a 202-pound wide receiver. Um, that's the most I think any receiver did in this class, and it's more than most running backs do. And this is a guy that I've seen him against, you know, Oregon, where he absolutely manhandled the cornerbacks, and they have some of the best cornerback prospects um, who are underclassmen um, in the NCAA and be able to, you know, bounce off outside hits from outside linebackers in the open field where he just shrugged them off. Um, I, I'm really excited about his play. And, you know, Jeff Okuda, the, uh, the cornerback for Ohio State, one of the top cornerback prospects in this class, they asked him, and I don't remember the other, the name of the other Ohio State cornerback, but they asked those two guys separately in different times of the, at different points of the combine, who was the best um, wide receiver prospect that they faced um, in their career. And Je- both of them said, hands down, Quintez and Cephas. And they faced some pretty good players at Ohio State, um, including, you know, the likes of players like at some of those Clemson wide receivers who, you know, like T. Higgins, like Justin Ross, who are, who are very good. And they said Cephas, you know, easily. So a guy like that could be a very strong play. If you're going to take a bet on upside, athletic upside, Donovan Peoples-Jones is another guy who is an excellent returner. Um, he certainly can win the ball in the air very well. Um, he has terrific vision in the open field. Um, could play the slot or flanker. He can definitely add a boost to your return game. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not he's a product of playing with subpar quarterback play at Michigan and an offense that really hasn't produced, um, you know, strong passing statistics since Jim Harbaugh arrived um, because that's not really his game um, in terms of what they like to do on offense, but he might be able to outgrow that. And then, you know, some guys that, you know, and then I just, a couple of quick hits, a guy like, um, you know, who would be another one? Uh, for a speedster, you could look at a guy like Quez Watkins, who's four, four five three speed out of Southern Miss, can win above the rim a little bit, but kind of limited as an all-around player. Um, Isaiah Hodgins is a, a big slot guy with slick routes who could play a little flanker and very good in the red zone. Um, and I think that he just needs to get a little bit stronger to unlock what he does best in terms of his route running. Uh, Gabriel Davis is an interesting player out of UCF who – who has the speed um, and the short area change of direction quickness, but not great acceleration. So if you can get him up to speed and continue to have him running where, you know, over routes, post routes, skinny posts, deep crossers, he's really skilled on that uh, at that level or routes where he can make one solid break, you know, on the perimeter. So he's a guy that can get deep for you, who can win the ball in that respect, but you, you're not going to have him run double moves. You're not going to have him run um, you know, some of the entire route tree, but if you can get him or you're not going to get the greatest production out of him running comebacks or hitches or hooks, um, but you can get or curl routes, but he'll get what he needs to on those routes. But if you ask him to run after the catch, getting him to break across the middle of the field. He could be very strong in that respect. So those are some of the guys. There's there's so many that we could talk about, but those are guys that kind of stand out to me in the second day through the later rounds. All right, Matt. Hey, thank you for that rundown. Let me, uh, let's do this. Let's take a, a short break here for a word from our sponsors at SB Nation. When we come back on the other side of the break, I want to talk a little bit about uh, late round or middle round uh, running backs and tight ends. That's a kind of a lower priority for the Giants, but uh, 
you know, an area where maybe in the later part of the draft uh, they, they might look to, to supplement what they have. So let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and do that. All right, Giants fans, Ed Valentine back here on the Valentine's Views podcast, and we are talking with Matt Waldman of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio as we go through some of the uh, some of the wide receiver, running back, tight end options for the Giants in, in the upcoming draft. And you know, we we spent our time you know in the first part of the show talking about wide receiver. Running back and tight end is is a lower priority for the Giants, you know, quite obviously. But still, an area where where they could supplement, you know, what they have with you know with a middle to uh, to later round choice in the draft. Matt, let's talk about running back first and looking at what the Giants have. Obviously, with with the stud back in Saquon Barkley, who's going to take you know the majority of the carries, no matter who else he's playing with. The Giants added, you know, veteran free agent Dion Lewis, who gives them some some pass receiving, you know, some ability to pass block. He he has, you know, some running ability, but he's not a guy you're going to want to pound up the middle. He's not a guy I don't think that you're going to want to uh, to carry the ball a lot. You know, I I think Wayne Gallman is probably, you know. He, he very well could be a guy that doesn't even make the roster depending on who else the Giants add at that position. But when I look at what Barkley does and what Lewis brings to the table, I keep thinking that there's space on this Giants roster for a banger, for a bigger back, for a physical guy who could maybe take some of those carries between the tackles, who could be a short yardage guy maybe, and just take some of that workload off of off of Saquon. The thing that drove me insane last year watching Pat Shermer's offense was how many times the Giants just handed the ball to Saquon Barkley and asked him to go straight up the middle. So obviously they have a new offense this year, but I, I'm curious about some of the guys that you think could handle that sort of inside physical you know, short yardage role. Yeah. Um, and No, go ahead. Yeah, and there are and there are a number of them. I mean, this is a pretty rich class in terms of the talent that's at this running back position. There's depth to it. And so guys who you can probably get on the third day, um, early third day, ranging to undrafted free agents. We'll kind of go from there. Um, one of the one of my favorite early third day picks is Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. He's 5'10, 212. Looks like he can add even a little bit more weight to his game. And he's a twitchy downhill runner with good vision, um, strong hands. And he's a guy that's really been under the radar. Um, he's someone that I honestly think could be a starter in this league and be a very good starter. But because of the fact that he's he's had, you know, he, he played, he transferred last year to UCLA and pl- started last year and started this year. Still, he, they haven't been a great team. And so he's underrated. And when you look at his game, I mean, he has the long speed to stretch the field. He has excellent short area acceleration and quickness, um, but he reads different types of schemes very well. So he's scheme versatile. Um, He can work between the tackles without a problem. And again, like I said, he can get stronger. Um, Another one who, if you want, if you're looking for production right away, but maybe the upside isn't great for him. Like if with a good offensive line, he can be a very productive starter. Um, so if something happened to Barkley, I think this guy could, you know, step right in and play well. He might not be a superstar, but it's a guy by the name of Keyshawn Vaughn out of Vanderbilt. Um, another underrated smart back who works well between the tackles, has good contact balance. Um has the speed to be able to, you know, get into that open field and maybe he's not going to blow people away from crazy angles like Saquon Barkley can. But if you get him, you know, downhill and into the secondary, he's going to gain a lot of yardage. And he's a guy who can catch the ball reasonably well. Um, He provides some upside as a pass protector. He's going to develop along those lines. Um, I think that he's the type of back who can have a long career as one who can start if you need him to and deliver that production 
Um, but if if you're on a team where he's the starter, he might also be the guy that's kind of looking over his shoulder every year to see whether or not the team is going to draft a bigger name guy. Um, but he's just good enough that he might be able to hold a lot of those players off. Rico Dowdle is an interesting player out of South Carolina because he's, you know, he's kind of a Kareem Hunt, Kenneth Dixon type of player, type of player who can do a little bit of everything. He can run outside. He has that short area quickness and movement to make multiple defenders miss and create yards on his own. Um, he's he's just a very slick mover in terms of how he plays, which also, you know, you think of guys like Barkley and Le'Veon Bell in that respect. He can really set up defenders in space. Um, he's a good receiver. Um, he has that he the route running needs some work, but when you send him on, you know, on some of the 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 seam routes or wheel routes or bullet routes as well as the you know the the normal check down routes he can handle all that right now and he has very strong hands um and can win contested situations um the issue with him has been injury um and he's had a number of you know he's had a broken leg he's had um sports hernia he's had a a minor knee sprain but he's had a number of different issues that has kind of held him back and the carolina south carolina staff really thought that he was capable of elevating his game beyond the level that he already showed. And I think that's true from what I've seen on film. It's just that he hasn't been consistent. And I think this team didn't feel like maybe he worked at his game as much as he needed to, because when you're calling out a player in the media and saying he could take it to another level, if he really applies himself, oftentimes that's an indication that they don't feel like the player is doing the the work he's capable of. They feel like he's an underachiever, but you know, there, there have been guys who've come into the league who've figured that out and have applied themselves well. And Donald's one of those that could be really good. Another guy that could be maybe had early day three. It'll be interesting to see how far teams reach for him is Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. He's a six, two, 221 pound player with four, three, nine speed in the 40 who had 340 combined yards against SMU and he played wide receiver, running back, and and was a return specialist. And he was a good enough wide receiver that, you know, he's a guy that could develop in that regard. He runs, you know, some hard breaks pretty well, works in the middle of the field, can win the ball away from his frame well. But I think he's better, after really looking at his game a little bit more, he's better as a running back. I mean, he's got the size, the contact balance, the, the, the versatility. He just has to develop a, a little bit more skill with different types of run blocking schemes and that may take him a little bit of time um, but the upside is there for him and then two two guys who I think could serve as bangers one right away is Michael Warren out of Cincinnati he's kind of a CJ Anderson type um, the, the not extremely fast but quick-footed really really tough between the tackles in terms of being able to have strong contact balance push the pile, find those creases and be creative in a, you know, within the tight confines of the box. And he's also an excellent receiver. He's a guy that Cincinnati often used in the slot in pivotal down and distance situations and had him run option routes because they felt like he was their best chance in, in certain short yardage, late game situations. And he's tough. He's the type of guy that can get nicked up in a game, come back in and pr- produce at a high level I think he's probably going to be available as an undrafted free agent, um, but I think he's a guy kind of like former undrafted free agent C.J. Anderson can deliver for you, especially behind a good line. And then the last guy I'll mention is probably the other than Joshua Kelly, who I mentioned is just second to him in terms of the overall talent that I've assessed of the group of guys that we just covered. And that's a former South Carolina back who wound up at BYU this year. His name's Tyson Williams. He's a former four-star recruit out of North Carolina who transferred to South Carolina. And South Carolina was kind of a mess with their running back carousel. So he played, I think, two years there and then transferred to BYU. And he had a stretch of four games at BYU this year that really, I think, if he were able to stay healthy and continue through, he would have been a guy that would have gotten drafted and maybe even drafted, you know, 
early third day. He's a six foot, 220 pound banger who, you know, is quick, fluid, catches the ball well, but he tore his ACL, you know, in week four. Um, he kind of reminds me physically. I don't know if you remember this guy. He's kind of infamous in the NFL because he failed a drug test and he used a, a product known as the original, the, I think it was called the original Wizinator. Um, it was Ontario Smith. Um, and Ontario Smith was a really dynamic back with a good low center of gravity out of Oregon who played for the Minnesota Vikings and looked like he was going to be a stud before he, he essentially tested himself out of the league. Um, Williams is, is a guy who has that, um, plays with a low center of gravity, plays with a lot of power, has enough speed to get into the open field, um, wins the ball as a receiver and just a smart runner who I think finally got a chance to play for a team that that I think clearly saw what his skills were about. I mean, and I say that about South Carolina not really knowing because there were lots of talk about the reason he got benched after taking over for an injured Dottle was because of a fumble that he had and that he needed to hold on to the ball better. He only had two fumbles during his career, and only one of them came when he was with South Carolina. So, And Carolina kind of has a reputation among scouts, at least in the past, of not necessarily getting the most out of its players and kind of being a program that underachieved in how it developed guys. Um, and some of that can also be where you interchange guys to the point where you're, you're not really assessing what they can do well and putting them in the positions to succeed. And I think Williams is a guy that if the team can feel like they can be patient for a year um, or they feel like his – that you know he's going to be nine months removed from the ACL injury in July, and they feel like that he his progression is good enough in terms of his rehab that he can compete this summer, and I think he will be if if all signs are good. Then they got themselves a uh, you know a potential steal as an undrafted free agent. All right, Matt. So the other position I think we need to talk about is tight end. Now, the Giants obviously have Evan Ingram. And again, as always, there are there are injury concerns with, with Ingram and durability concerns. The Giants have uh, have spent part of the offseason collecting tight ends, veteran guy like Levine Tuilolo. Uh, they brought back Eric Tomlinson. They saw Red Ellison retire. They have Caden Smith. Uh, they have a couple of other young tight ends on the roster. They have a lot of guys. But what I don't see at the tight end position, especially with you know with the questions about Ingram's durability, what I don't see at the tight end position are a lot of long-term answers. So, And again, it's another position I don't expect the Giants to go and draft a tight end you know, in in the second round or even in the third round, I think they they just have other priorities, other things that they have to do. So again, we're talking about day three tight ends. You know, give me give me a few guys you think could be you know could develop into starting caliber tight ends. You know, you know from that day three range. You know, guys who who could maybe be part of the long term solution. You know, for the Giants at that spot. Sure, you know, and and one guy we didn't talk about at wide receiver who could wind up being a tight end kind of in that Evan Ingram mold would be Notre Dame's Chase Claypool. So if they decide they're, they want to draft a receiver, but they feel like he can provide them maybe that Evan Ingram, Jared Cook type of play, Claypool's a guy that we probably should have mentioned earlier. But for day three guys, the one that really sticks out the most is UCLA's Devin Asiasi, who is a... 6'3", 257-pound um, tight end who really came off one strong year because he was toiling behind Caleb Wilson, who was you know, statistically a very strong college tight end, but really more of a move, a move tight end, kind of more of just a, a big, slow, wide receiver who's, who, who's going to have trouble probably making an NFL roster, but had a lot of rapport with the likes of Josh Rosen and then there, you know, and all the way up until last year when he, you know, he was kind of their reigning guy. So they weren't going to bench him for maybe a guy, a guy like Asiasi, who's a more promising NFL prospect, but, you know, was still working his way, you know, arrived later at UCLA. So, 
you know, Wilson kind of had seniority in that respect. But Asiasi is a, you know, is he's a decent blocker. Um, he kind of reminds me of a mix of guys like Randy McMichael, who used to play with the Dolphins out of Georgia, and Algie Crumpler, former Atlanta Falcons player who was a good run blocker, could really do nice work after the catch in the short and intermediate ranges of the field. And Asiasi has that skill. He's the type of guy that has good quickness, good footwork, works the middle of the field well as a receiver, has the suddenness to be able to make those quick breaks you need against linebackers. So I'm a big fan of what I think he could become, and probably he's the best option of those day three guys. Um, Bryson Hopkins is an interesting player. He's 6'5", 245, probably can add a little bit more weight. His dad was Brad Hopkins, the former left tackle for the um, Tennessee Titans when they had Steve McNair and that Super Bowl team. Um, he's a better blocker than you would expect. He, he has some work to do to bulk up and to be able to win the physical matchups, but technically he has some pretty nice skills in terms of using the one-arm technique, being able to slide and, and stay square with players, but he's best fit as an H-back who can re- lead block in the run game. And so you can use him a little bit more as an H-back lead lead blocker, also an edge blocker, and he has terrific short area acceleration. Um, so he's the type of guy that you can kind of leak the ball out to and he can get yards after the catch. Um, you, you know, two other guys that, you know, I'll give you a few other guys here that could be interesting. Thad Moss. Randy Moss's son out of LSU, he's not a fast guy. He's extremely sure-handed, um, and he runs good routes. He's the type of guy that you, he could win in the short and intermediate range when you throw targets up to let him win. Um, but he's mostly going to function for you as a blocker and as a short area receiver. They have a lot of those guys already, but he's kind of a Dennis Pitta, Heath Miller type of player who can give you some dynamic skill in the red zone. Um, but also be a, a fantastic blocker. Um, I think he's less likely to be on that radar. Um, but guys who might be able to grow into more, um, Josiah DeGuara out of Cincinnati, um, former wide receiver. He can add maybe another 10 to 15 pounds. He can work at the line of scrimmage and not just be an H-back, but also win downfield, give you a Delaney Walker type of player, at least aspiring in that area. And then, you know, Jared Pinckney out of Vanderbilt, many considered him, him to be a top tight end in this class, but he, he kind of showed, he kind of regressed last year production-wise, so a lot of people are going to be down on that. But he's also a slower player. But he's kind of a, you know, you think of Zach Miller as an example of a player that, that, he, that he could be a productive guy in the slower range, but still very good blocker, enough short area quickness to be able to stretch the seam. Um, and then maybe the last guy who might have the most upside, and if you're going to take a chance on a guy late in the draft, this might be the guy to do that, and that's Cheyenne O'Grady out of Arkansas. He's um, you know, he's a hard-running tight end with excellent hands, toughness in the face of contact, um, but he's been suspended twice by his team. Um, his former teammate, 49ers linebacker Drake Greenlaw, actually called him out for skipping practice. They went to high school together and called him out for skipping practice and skipping class. Um, and they basically, the team, after suspending him twice, essentially, quote-unquote, agreed um, mutually to part company at the end of the season. Um, so he didn't even really finish at his time at the program. But when you watch his game, He has some work to develop as a route runner and blocker, but the physical skills are there. And he's the type of guy that if he can mature and a lot of guys, you know, need a little time, more time to mature at this age. Um, If he can be one of those guys to turn the corner and mature and they feel solid about him, he could be that guy that, that goes from late round pick to emerge into a really productive NFL starter. All right, Matt, thank you very, very much for, for all of that information. Lots of players to consider at, uh, at all of those positions. We'll be interested to, uh, to find out what the Giants do here in a couple of weeks. Matt, before I let you go and before we close up shop, why don't you uh, tell folks where they can find you on Twitter, uh, where they can follow your work, what you got coming up, all that good stuff. 
Sure. You know, you can follow me at mattwaldmanrsp.com. That's my site. You also can follow my YouTube channel, Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room, for anywhere between, you know, five-minute-long videos on player prospects to hour-long videos. Um, Twitter, my handle is Matt Waldman, W-A-L-D-M-A-N. And, of course, there's the Matt Waldman's RSP cast with, you know, we share Mark Schofield, you know, and Mark, Mark certainly, he comes on every other week. I do a scout um, a scout talk podcast with Russ Landy, who is a former NFL scout with a couple of different teams and is working with the, um, you know, working in Calgary in Calgary with the Stampeders as a scout right now in the CFL. And we talk about scouting matters, um, you know, go in depth on that. And you can, you know, if you are interested in the rookie prospects at the skill positions, you know, I, I offer what is arguably the most in-depth comprehensive guide that came out um, April 1st, um, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio Publication. You can download it. Um, you can find the information and in some um, videos that give you um, tours of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio at mattwaldmanrsp.com, and that comes with a pre-draft edition, a post-draft edition after the draft, a week after that. And then, uh, then I do a newsletter from June through December once a month that keeps you updated about those players as well as the past three classes of rookies um, and um, the upcoming class for 2021. So, uh, you know, it's well worth it's it's well worth the bang for the buck in terms of people who, um, you know, the people who've gotten it. That's what their uh, their thoughts have been for the past 15 years now. So uh, that's what I do full time and, uh, you know, hopefully give it a, a look. Oh, it's all definitely great information, definitely worth the time and the money. Matt, thank you very, very much. Maybe uh, after the draft, we'll uh, we'll get back together. We'll talk about uh, the players that, that the Giants did draft. Sounds great, Ed. All right, Matt, thank you. Giants fans, as always, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.